Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter 248 or 248. My name is John O'Logan, and I am in a bit of a bind tonight because I am flying to Nova Scotia tomorrow morning very early, and I am not packed yet, and it is 7.15. By this time tomorrow, I will... By this time tomorrow morning, so 12 hours from now, I'll be at the airport waiting to get on the plane, and my suitcase is still unpacked. So this is called time management at its best. But... That's okay, because I am here to talk some video games with a fantastic panel. They are going to calm my nerves, and they are going to they are going to make me relax into this, so I'm not panicking. So uh, let's meet our panel today. Zach Wilkerson. Hello. And Izzy Parsons. Hi. Zach, you just actually got back from a big trip overseas, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, my girlfriend, who I, I guess I could just say is Alana, who used to work here, <laughs> um, I uh, was over there for about two months. Uh, we went to Paris. We went to Italy. Um, I'm a teacher, so I kind of have that ability to just to kind of be somewhere else for two months, and it was amazing. That's lovely. Has traveling settled down? Because I know in 2020, it was either impossible or a nightmare. In 2021, it was just a pain in the butt. I mean, it, it's definitely settled down, but um, like in Europe, there are a lot of uh, strikes going on. So like we were supposed to fly out of Rome one day. And then our flight got canceled, and because everything else was booked, we couldn't fly out for two more days. We got put up in a hotel for two days. Um, oh, wow. Which isn't the worst thing in the world, a hotel in Rome. Um, but like she had to work and things like that. So it, it's still a little bit of a challenge, but um, it's certainly more doable than it was two years ago. Mm. Yeah, uh, I am flying out from Pearson, which is currently apparently considered to be the worst airport in the world. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Delays at Pearson are apparently like they've made worldwide news. I saw it as one of the top stories on CNN a few weeks ago. Um, thankfully, this flight that I'm taking is has never been canceled and it's very rarely delayed, like historically over the last couple of weeks. So I think I'm safe. How long is the flight to Nova Scotia from where you are? Uh, it's only like two and a half hours. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. I mean, I'm flying to PEI first. Uh, because I'm meeting my parents there and we're going to see a show at the Charlottetown Festival, a theater festival there. And then we'll take the ferry back. Yeah, the the ferry. Um, there was a big, big story in the Maritimes. One of the ferries to PEI, the engine room caught on fire um, <laughs> and they had to ground the ferry and like everyone's everyone's uh, cars because it's a car loading ferry. So there were like hundreds ah. of cars stuck on this boat for like weeks. I mean, it's always like a good thing, though. So in some ways, because then, you know, like there's no way it's going to happen again anytime soon. <laughs> I guess, but I've never I, I've taken the ferry many, many times. And at no point have I ever gotten on thinking, I wonder if this is going to be on fire by the end of this trip. And now I will. So <laughs> um, anyway, I, it's you know what? I'm traveling tomorrow, but I know two people who are not going to be traveling. And that's neither of you, because you have your butts planted in front of the television playing uh, one of the two games that we're going to be discussing today, um, but we aren't going to talk about that yet. Instead, we are going to jump in with another uh, highly anticipated game that got released uh, that is a remake, and that is Live Alive. Uh, this is a Square... I was about to say it's a Square Enix, but it's kind of like it's a Squaresoft game. Uh, here's the problem. For years and years and years, we had no idea whether it was called Live Alive, Live Alive, or Live Alive. Uh, now we are sure that it's called Live Alive, and I, it just sounds wrong to me. Um, but this was a 1994 SNES RPG that was released in Japan uh, and was never actually localized for the West. However, uh, there was a fan translation, as many Squaresoft RPGs were translated by fans. I played it two decades ago. I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, was not the best looker on the SNES. In terms of graphics, the original looked very similar to 
I would say it looked very similar to about Final, somewhere between Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy V in terms of the graphics. Did not look bad. Uh, just didn't look stunning. It didn't look not even remotely approaching Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger, which immediately followed this. Um, but finally, the West is getting uh, Live Alive with not just a remaster, but a full HD 2D remake. Uh, it has brand new pixel art, has brand new uh, larger and more detailed character sprites. It has that sense of depth that we uh, see in Octopath Traveler. Uh, there are tons of other uh, HD 2D games coming out, including uh, the Dragon Quest Three remake, uh, Triangle Strategy, which is it's technically HD 2D, but for me, the isometric POV doesn't quite seem as striking to me. Um, but this version also includes some brand new features such as voice acting. Uh, and... People have been really, really enjoying this, including you, Izzy. You wrote the review for the site. Uh, you gave it an 85. And yeah, this was a, uh, you've been you've been kind of one of our specialists for uh, really, for reviewing uh, games that should have been released over 30 years ago, but just got a release. <laughs> um, so how did you enjoy it? Yeah. So uh, yeah, like you were saying, it's a huge glow up. There's, so that's a, a, a nice thing to just get to experience this classic, um, but with a, modern coat of paint more than a coat of paint really since there's it's completely different looking but uh it's always been a game i've been curious about and i've i've played a lot of different fan translated stuff but for some reason i just never got around to live live even though it always interested me but then once i heard it was getting a re-release which was around the time when i was seriously considering playing it right Mm, (laughs) of course so uh as soon as i heard it was going to get a re-release i was over the moon getting getting to play something like that i i love something i love about video games is unlike i i don't think film does remakes very well very often uh video games surprisingly often is a remake either interest at least interesting but often actually good which i appreciate a lot um and live live is definitely good um i didn't play the original like i said so i can't compare it directly but i feel like it holds up well um so yeah i guess premise of live live if someone hasn't figured it out or learned by now from all the trailers nintendo was putting out and square was putting out um is kind of similar to octopath traveler there are seven stories um seven different main characters and you can play them in any order but unlike octopath they take place in different times so there's one that's takes place in imperial china there's one that takes place in the distant future there's one that takes place uh in prehistory there's one that takes place in modern day so they the characters don't interact during these um vignettes you play of them and they're also of like a varying length and they have unique mechanics for each one as well so it's almost like it's a short story collection or a collection of short films or something but yeah, they're I like all your sh- i like your short film analogy in your review right I, it does it feels like that they're all very experimental they're almost like art house films but like a bunch of short art house films in a collection because they're so experimental with what they do with video games and with rpgs and stuff like that at the time and they reference a lot of things um i think i mentioned in the review that the distant future one is kind of like 2001 meets alien and mm. that is true <laughs> uh the near future one is very reminiscent of earthbound but has its own stuff going on. But there's definitely that. Or Akira, too, as well. There's mm. a motorcycle. There's psychic powers. I remember when I played it. And I mean, again, it's been like, it's been two decades since I played the fan translation. Um, 
I've been keeping up with watching like footage and stuff like this. I haven't played the remake yet, although I very I suspect I will because it looks really good and it looks right up my alley. Um, I remember thinking that not every story, but most of the stories could easily have been spun off into their own full length games and expanded into that, like the settings, the effort that went into some of the characters. Like, I mean, my favorite, just because it was so unique to RPGs at the time, and even today, was the Old West section. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fun. Like, the ability to set all those traps and everything, I thought <laughs> that was the coolest one by far. The Ninja yeah. War is cool, too. Yeah, it's just, the aesthetic of each world is so different, too. It, they don't look like each other, which is really nice. Totally. And they ha- use, like, different techniques and, like, like th- some of them use, like, different camera techniques and stuff, rather than just being always from the same angle. And... There's all kinds of little different touches that make them feel really different. Yeah, and there are there are like cutscenes and things like that. Like I remember the cutscene going into the uh, uh, the ninjas section, like the ninjas flying in on a kite. Uh, the the whole intro section of the ninjas the ninja part is gorgeous in the remake for sure. I thought in general that was the most gorgeous one. Like as you're running along those rooftops. Oh yeah, um, so just cool. like I think it's the best looking three um, D or two D HD game. Uh, that uh, of the three because i've played triangle strategy as well um in octopath and i think it's better looking than either of them i agree i think it they've really ironed out the kinks with the mm. the whole process the whole style and i the look yeah i'm looking forward to more games coming in that style since it sounds like square enix is, is really <laughs> going for it yeah so counting the days until we get a chrono trigger remake with it i don't know where that is <laughs> <laughs> it'll either come out or it won't but everyone's going to be anticipating it until then um, another thing that slightly uh, is different than most RPGs of this period, like at this point, Square was pretty solidly on the turn-based combat, but they did something a little bit different here. It's not just turn-based in terms of like Final Fantasy uh, active time battle system. It uh, uses a, a grid-based system with the usual command structure. How does this work? Right. So it's kind of like it is almost ATB, like characters charge up to get to do their action so do the monsters and you can see the bars for both yourself and the monsters Mm -hmm. so you can kind of plan ahead very well um but you also can move around a grid and different attacks have different like directions and spaces that they can attack some attacks are really hard to hit with and you kind of have to maneuver well to get with them because they're like really weird distance or only hit like one square in the corner that's like five away or things like that um and then uh whenever an enemy's gauge fills up they just get to take a turn instantly but they have to use a turn to move as well which you don't so if once you fill up a gauge you get to activate that character um and you can move around freely with them and it just kind of slowly increases the gauge for everyone else uh so it gives you a lot of freedom to set things up how you want them set up which is kind of it's like a blessing for winning <laughs> but it, it does feel a little bit like a curse in that it makes the game a lot easier than it could be i think because you have so much of an advantage over your opponents in terms of this particular system i think they kind of took this and simplified it uh with chrono trigger where it was also a location-based system where certain attacks you'd have to be on certain locations in the field in order to attack the enemy um this just takes a much more i guess almost strategy game model to it yeah it's like there's other strategy games that have like smaller parties than something like a fire emblem or whatever where you have like a similar party size to a rpg and they this feels much more like that like uh treasure hunter g or uh the uta games uta ware rumono (laughs) i mean i think that the thing and i agree when i was because i didn't play it but I, i watched uh alana play it and um 
like I, I feel like the way they could play with the positioning and stuff like that, like it was so easy that it never really mattered. But like the idea that you could only be in a certain place, like when because I know there were sometimes you had to avoid attacks in certain positions and things like that, and it felt like it was really rich to do a lot with. Um, but I felt like you never really had to. Um, so I, I thought it was cool, but they could have done a little bit more with it. Right. It's kind of sad that that battle system stopped there because there was a lot of potential to it, and it just kind of got one game. And it's cool we got it again, um, and maybe something will come of it in the future. Maybe a future game from Square will have be influenced by it or something. But well, bizarrely, I mean, I, I recognize that this game is decades old, but this new version, uh, there's a lot of potential here. Not even in terms of the story, but just in terms of the structure, telling these like short story, short film uh, RPGs. Like, I could almost imagine they'll never do this. They'll never do this in a million years, but I could almost imagine them like getting uh, certain developers into like create their own little stories and release it and then kind of merge it together at the end, telling one big story that brings them all together very much like this. But that would be really, really interesting to me to get like very, very different flavors of uh, RPGs in these stories. I mean, they've done that with uh, movies before, but it would be such a, such a time commitment here. That would be impressive. It's like a, rpg grindhouse i have an idea with that then obviously <laughs> final fantasy 17 is going to be every team at square making a little vignette of a fi- their idea of a final fantasy game <laughs> at least one of them be turn-based <laughs> <laughs> please one of them goes solid retro and just like uses sprites from the nes wow, yeah. i'd be so down yeah i would be down with that too to be completely honest uh, i think that it, i think that in terms of retro looking games this is going to be the pinnacle of the form uh the HD 2D. This is what retro looking games are going to look like in the future coming from uh, Square. If we get any other uh, releases, and there are still uh, quite a few games uh, from the SNES era that were never released uh, in the West, including, uh, oh, cripes, what was uh, Treasure Hunter G? uh, Bahamut Lagoon. Treasure of the Rudras, which is one of my favorite games of all time. That is going to be, that's a tricky one because of the magic system. Right. Although the fan translation did a pretty good job of it. I I think they could make it work. I mean, with professional localizers, they'll figure it out. I mean, it's sitting there. It looks amazing. And it it translates incredibly well to this style of remake. Like, look, when I played that game, I kind of like look back on it and I'm like, this almost feels like the HD 2D style, but in what they could do with it back then. (laughs) Yeah, it was their last SNES game, right? I think so. Yeah. Which it sold terribly because of that. But (laughs) yeah, it's such a shame when the like the last the last games released for a system. Okay, not the last games, actually. The last games released for any system are like shovelware, but like the last good games released for a system. Often some of the best, but they don't sell well or or in the case of the nintendo wii u just the entire run of it just brilliant games but on a system that was never popular and now they're just <laughs> releasing them all on the switch and people are like heck these are good uh anyway um one of the things that's new in this version is voice acting which is you know interesting because obviously the super nintendo version had no voice acting how's the voice acting in it uh, it's pretty good i i'm pretty pleased with it there's there's like every character has a voice i mean there's some there's definitely some voice actors that do more than one character but there's like each timeline has like some effort put into like accents and things to try and make it fit with that timeline uh it just genuinely there was never a time where i wished there wasn't voice acting and that's not true of a lot of things I'm not usually big on voice acting in my games, to be honest. So <laughs> Yeah, especially for me in classic RPGs, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of text and I can I'm a very, very fast reader. 
So I like just read the text really, really fast, but it drives me crazy if like I'm done reading and voice actors are only like a quarter of the way through the sentence. Same. Uh, I would say that that's something the short runtime and the quick pacing and like the vignette structure works well for that too as well, right? So you're not spending too long with the same voice actors and there's not that much dialogue in each of these given stories either. Yeah, the game isn't too long. It's about, what would you say, like maybe 15 to 20 hours, 25? Uh, I would say, yeah, 25 is probably like the most you're going to spend on it. You could maybe spend 30 if you really wanted to do everything. Uh, I think that would probably be like do everything and don't look anything up to do everything. I mean, that's a nice change of pace from some 150 hour games, which absolutely consume your life and you do nothing else but play it for weeks on end. Totally. Not not saying that that's a current uh, thing that both of you are going through, but hey. it's. I wish that we had more RPGs of this length because I'm totally cool with the giant RPGs as you've mentioned, but (laughs) there is something to be said that I would like more of this kind of length. I, we, we do get enough that are still like 40-ish, 35-ish, but I wish there was more that were in like the 20 yeah, range. I appreciate that. I'm currently on a Bioware kick. I just finished Mass Effect Andromeda, um, and I have thoughts, which unfortunately I will not <laughs> be able to talk about because no one will ever do... I, I don't want to talk about Mass Effect Andromeda on this podcast. It's a few-year-old game that <laughs> no one likes. Um, although I liked it. I didn't hate it. Uh, most of the... The vast majority of the bugs that were in the original are now patched out. Um, also, thanks to a fan, a fan patch, <laughs> but that's another thing. And uh, there, there are a lot of things about that game that drove me crazy. But it, I did pay, I did spend like ninety-five hours playing it, so I couldn't have hated it that much. Fair. And also, alongside the voice acting, there is a fully remastered soundtrack. Uh, how's the music? I mean, the music is great, but how is the music in this new it's version? So good. Oh yeah, <laughs> I agree. It is very, very good. Um, there's a couple songs that play more than you would like. Maybe I think, I think each area kind of has just one overworld theme or each story, um, which they're not that long. So it's not like it's a big deal or anything, but it does sometimes mess with the tone a little bit when you're like hearing the same song, despite what's happening. Mm. And it doesn't always like work out like that. Sometimes it, sometimes it plays new songs. Like there's a sad song, but then sometimes it goes back to the not sad song, even before you feel like it should things like that. But I don't think that's a huge issue or anything. I just, something I noticed Mm. otherwise the music's amazing. So yeah, it's actually really, really nice that, uh, these re-releases, not re-releases remasters. No, it's not a remaster either. These remakes, (laughs) uh, give, uh, Western audiences a chance to hear some music that they otherwise would have missed. Like, yeah, everyone can hum along to Final Fantasy VI, but this music is a contemporary of that. It's from the same era. It's from the same company, not the same composer. Obviously, this is uh, uh, Shimomura. Yeah. yeah, and uh, but it's a great soundtrack. So because this is now released, we might get I don't know who knows we might get some remaster. We might get some uh, uh, new albums out of it. Uh, certainly some fan remixes, things like that. Right. I mean. Toby Fox is notoriously in, inspired by Live Alive for some of his music and just his music in general, I would say. So, and he started as just someone making fan stuff. Uh, look where he is now. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why he's so beloved is because he came from like the fan community. Yeah. Um, and like very niche fan communities too. True. I mean, obviously the uh, fan game of uh, Mother, it was a hit. He, he started doing uh, Mother 2 uh, fan games, right? Yeah. There, his Halloween game. I can't remember what it's called. I've played it. It was fun. Uh, definitely obviously made by someone that was still learning, but like a good like glimpse into how progress from him 
when he gets to Undertale and so on. Clearly somebody who would eventually go on to make Undertale. Right. Well, this game is, I think it looks gorgeous. Uh, it's on the Switch. It seems like a perfect match for the console uh, because of the, first off, the short run time, but also like the stories and things like that. Uh, it seems like a really good match for the console. I agree. It's really just like that handheldness. It, you could play this as a handheld game or you could play it as just like your classic RPG, but it it works so well for that handheld idea despite being originally a Super Nintendo game. Like it f- almost feels like it was a game made for a handheld. Yeah, uh, and I think it would look really good on the screen. I'm really excited to see this thing in motion. Um, well, this is a game that I think a lot of people were really, really looking forward to. Um, however, there, there was a, let's say another game coming out for switch that I would argue that quite a few more people were pretty excited about, um, including many people on staff and many people on this podcast. Uh, and that is Xenoblade Chronicles three. Um, yeah, we, uh, Tyler was on a few months ago, uh, to talk about his feature. One of our favorite features here at RPG fan is the, so you want to get into the series. Uh, and, uh, this one was, so you want to get into the Xeno series. Uh, and it was a, Pretty, it's a pretty darn great article that uh, goes into the rather expansive history of the series. Uh, and like some of the games don't have anything to do with each other. Some of them are just spiritual sequels. But one of them uh, is, of course, the Chronicles series. So uh, Xenoblade Chronicles was one of the games that was famously included in Operation Rainfall, which was a fan campaign back in 2011. Which Tyler actually worked for as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to localize three major Wii RPGs. Uh, back then, you know, Nintendo was like, we don't think these games are going to have any appeal in the West, so we're not going to release them. Uh, and they were, uh, it was Xenoblade Chronicles, The Last Story, and what was the third one? Why am I blanking? Pandora's Tower. Pandora's Tower. Pandora's Tower, yeah. yes. Uh, and I, I mean, both of those games, I understand, are very, very good, but arguably the the contender, the one that has stood the test of time, is Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, because from Chronicles, there was Chronicles X, then Chronicles 2, then Chronicles 2, Torn of the Golden Country, which is a DLC, but like a massive piece of DLC, its own game, uh, Future Connected, which was a new piece of DLC for the Switch version of Chronicles. And now we have Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So Zach, you are reviewing it for us, and Izzy, you are currently playing through it diligently. Uh, we'll go to you first, Zach. What are your uh, mid-game impressions? Yeah, so I am a li- like 51 hours in, and I think I just recently got past the halfway point, probably. Um, which, you know, if you've played Xenoblade before, you know that's not surprising. Um, mm. My initial impressions, uh, you know, there are a lot of reviews out there already. I've tried not to read them, but I can see Metascores. Um and they're not wrong. Um, People Zinoblade, like this game. Yeah, Simply Chronicles 3 is um, remarkable on so many levels. Um, I mean, the thing that sticks out to me most about it, and I'll go into the more particulars later, is that they clearly have learned from Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2. Like, there are so many systems in place that are similar to what they did in both of those games that were sometimes tedious or difficult. And they're not here. Um, like the questing system is so much better. Um, you can build affinity in a, in a better way. Um, the combat for most people, I think they're going to like it much better than either of the previous two. I'm a real sucker for Xenoblade 2, so it's not quite there for me yet. But um, 
it's it's just it's five times the size of xenoblade 2 um i can't believe it runs on the switch and i can't believe i get to play it so yeah it's it's incredible so far yeah that sort of seems to be the takeaway that a lot of people who are playing it or who have played it they're like i can't believe this thing even exists yeah um izzy what are your early game impressions because you just started it uh monday uh today it's tuesday evening so you're what like probably 15 hours in 15 hours in yeah so what are your early game impressions like? Uh, so I would say it was pretty early on when I just had this moment of, I think this might be the best game in the series. And I didn't expect that considering I feel like every other game in the series kind of really takes its time to endear itself to you. There's there's moments in the early games of all the other ones. Um, but I feel especially like gameplay wise, they often really take their time to get somewhere interesting and i mean i'm still doing like tutorial stuff at the point i'm at yeah these games are notoriously system heavy yes very very system heavy but despite the fact that i'm still doing tutorial stuff like i feel like right from the get-go there was more to grab onto than any other game in the series has done this early like your initial three party members can break topple and days an enemy which is just a nice thing and then you your talent art for the main character can then deal extra damage to someone who's dazed so it's you have like this nice little rotation for early game that like gets you used to how the systems work instead of doing nothing for a lot of the beginning stuff like the other games (laughs) zach why don't you tell us like without really deep spoilers or anything but what's the game about it's not really a spoiler to say that you know going in that it takes place in a world that is in some way a merged version of Xenoblade 1's world and Xenoblade 2's. Um, it's on it's on the cover art. like It's not giving anything away. Um, but the world that they're on is called Ionius. Um, and there are two different uh, factions on Ionius, uh, Kevis and Agnes. And in each faction... Um, someone is born, um, sort of, um, like it's sort of like they're born like as a preteen almost. Um, and then they're going to live for 10 years. And during those 10 years, every single person in this world is a soldier. Um, so if you are a soldier born into Kevis, you will spend 10 years fighting against Agnes unless you die, of course, um, before the end of those 10 years, you make it to the end of those 10 years. Then you go to like a ceremony where you're sent off. Um, and, um, the, the entire premise is like, it's just people warring with each other. And so you start off, um, controlling three people from Kevis. Um, and then I, I won't really give away like towards the end of chapter one, some things happen, um, and you end up teaming up with, um, three people from Agnes, the, the opposing group, um, sort of in an effort to take down this or understand the world that you're living in, why people are fighting, um, what the point of the war is. Um, but you know, it, it's, um, the story is even more than Xenoblade one, I think, um, melancholic, um, and, um, it has a very sort of sad tone, which is communicated through the initial areas you're in. It's communicated with the music, which is better than it's ever been here, which is a very high bar. Um, yeah, it, it's um, that that's what the game is about. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it seems it's a melancholic setup in the sense that yeah. you live 10 years and you're a soldier. So those right. probably are not going to be the best 10 years ever. Not only that, but their world is dying, too. They know it. Oh, yes. okay. Or, they're they don't know it but the main character literally says it at the start of the game so (laughs) ah okay he's like we didn't know that our world was dying kind of thing okay uh the nice thing about this game i've heard is that 
while there are connections to previous games, it's not exactly a necessity to play them. So if someone wanted to jump into Xenoblade Chronicles 3, uh, they could. Is this true? Yeah, um, you definitely could. Um, I mean, the the references right now, um, if you've played Xenoblade 1 and 2, like, are really, really cool. Um, like, because, like, it's two worlds, like, smashed together, um, like, some of the, like, there's a zone that has, like, um, a city with, like, forests growing on top of it. And, like, one of those zones is from Xenoblade 2, one of them's from 1. And it's really cool to see how it's, like, how the worlds are smashed together. The characters, um, like, the ones who are from Kevis are clearly from the world of Xenoblade 1. The ones who are from Agnes are clearly from the world of Xenoblade 2. Like, their races match up. Um, even, like, the way, like, they work in combat um, right. is, you know, in Xeno- Xenoblade 2, like, your quote-unquote arts, which are your special moves, um, recharge based on your auto attacks. So like their arts recharge based on their auto attacks in Xenoblade ones. It's just like on a timer. Um, and so it, you know, and there are some other, I, I get a feeling as I go further on that there will be even more. Um, and I definitely think that like your sense of wonder is increased by having played those games. Um, but there is no direct references at all to Xenoblade one or two yet. I mean, outside of maybe one or two, if you can, you know, do some thinking back uh, to maybe who some characters are. But other than that, um, there's nothing there. And I don't think you would lose a lot, but it's way cooler to play it after one and two, especially to see how the series has evolved Mm because one and two are both still great games. I've played them both pretty recently. I will say that before Xenoblade 2 came out, Takahashi specifically said that it was not related to one whatsoever. And he lied. So (laughs) in this case, at least it was on the cover art. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if late Xenoblade 3 is so heavily influenced by 1 and 2 that you'll feel like you're missing something. I'm not going to say that that's what's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm not planning on playing it until I play uh, Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 1 and 2 and probably X as well. Uh, because, I mean, there I have them on my my Switch wish, my Switch. Wow, that is actually hard to say. Switch wish list. Switch you wish should. List. Mm-hmm. switch wish list and it's funny because like even though cross uh, xenoblade x or whatever you want to call it um it is not in the same timeline like I, I feel like the zones and the areas in this game and like the way that like how large they are and how massive they are um it feels very xenoblade x to me there's also some like story stuff or like things in the world where i was like yeah that was inspired by yeah. that by cross by x even though it might not be directly connected for sure and like even like like some some of the designs in this game are so straight out of xeno gears um it's Mm -hmm. insane um so yeah you could it almost feels like a culmination of takahashi's work at this point to me oh definitely um and, and the world building is wild like how much it like goes through the story and the gameplay things like the fact that all these people only live for 10 years and only know about war so like how often they're like they are super confused when someone they meet someone who is aged or mm-hmm. how they don't understand farming. Like the concept of farming is like so foreign to them. It's like, this is how we could get food. Like right. things like that. It's so, so cool to me that they didn't just make it this basic premise. They actually are following through in how the world works right. and how it's built with these ideas. And, and another thing you can do, and it's related to what is he's talking about um, is like, you can, like have discussions at like campsites or like rest areas and like those things go really far into it. Um, and like into like that world building and the things they know and the things they don't know. And just like the, the, the 
the impressiveness of the scope of the world and also like the depth of the world they live in, I think is really impressive. Those, those campsite discussions are cool too, because they could sometimes give you side quests, but sometimes they just give you a little bit of experience or sometimes they give you nothing. It's kind of just like a, a, you gathered some information. Let's chat about it. Let's see if it means something to us. It's interesting that you mentioned the scale of the world, uh, because something I would argue that this series is known for, uh, is being released on underpowered hardware. Uh, especially for the generations that they get released in. Chronicles was a Wii game. Uh, Chronicles X or Cross was a Wii U game. Chronicles 2 was was uh, for Switch. Um, and despite the fact that these are considered to be underpowered systems in terms of their uh, graphical capabilities, especially when compared to, well, the PlayStation 5, uh, the Xbox Series X, they look amazing. Um, and this game really seems to have carried that on and seems to be pushing the uh, switch right up to the limits of what it's capable of. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some stories of people on Twitter saying that it's causing their like, OG switch to overheat, which does not surprise me at all. Yeah, I'm Um, worrying about that. My fan is going like crazy (laughs) when I'm playing it. Yeah, I mean, I've mostly played docked. So I think it's mostly okay. I don't know. I haven't walked up to it to see if it is okay um but it's even more because it, it, it performs so much better than xenoblade 2 like oh, xenoblade yeah. 2 it looked i mean like the the world design um like any other xenoblade game is going to look amazing right like it's going to look great um because it's designed well but like it especially like if you played it undocked if you played it handheld xenoblade 2 looked like crap <laughs> like it ran like 300p maybe um it looked like it was like a dust rain happening all the time on it it felt like i was playing on a tv without my glasses on like right. it was that far away but without <laughs> yeah, that is not good <laughs> yeah it, it played terribly undocked um but here like it it plays well undocked um it, it certainly plays better docked um but it it looks great um and just given the scope of the world, um, like the scope of the zones, like there are fewer zones in this game because they're so interconnected. Like so far, I've only really been in three zones, I think. Um, I think I just entered a fourth, but um, they're so massive. And the fact that it can just load between them and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, cut in or anything like that. um, It just uh, it's it's a remarkable achievement for the hardware. Yeah, I've heard it also actually manages to maintain a fairly steady frame rate. Yeah, I haven't had any drops yep. on in either docked or undocked. That's amazing, especially for the Switch. Yeah. I Not agree. only that, like the cutscenes, the animations in the cutscenes are greatly improved. They're some of the best I've seen in a JRPG of like just like the kinetic motion and like mm-hmm. the choreography of people fighting and cutscenes and things like that. Very, very impressive. And it's even more impressive because like the battle system, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, is very busy. Um, and so like the fact that there's no real slowdown and there's occasionally slowdown that is built into the system. Like there are occasional like events that will happen um, during combat. Like if you gain or lose aggro or things will slow down or like you get a break or a topple. Um, and I'm not sure if those things are purposeful for the way it runs but um other than that like i haven't had any sort of slowdown um with the system at all um which given how dicey things can be if you're fighting a unique monster that's 10 levels above you um (laughs) that is impressive um and there's a lot of things on screen at once well let's talk about the combat for a second because like i said xenoblade games are uh very system heavy especially in their combat uh to the point where I remember uh, I was I said something quite controversial on the when uh, there was the the direct a few weeks ago and I on an episode of Random I said it kind of lost me uh, just because it was so their systems looked so complex 
Um, but apparently that's not the case when you're actually playing it. So how does the combat actually work in this? It's not turn-based at all. It's I mean, it, it's got a little ATB to it, maybe. Um, it's not action, really. Um, it's more MMO than anything. Um, but um, I mean, the, the, the combat is sort of, um, in many ways, this whole game is like a, a mix of Xenoblade 1 and 2. And like, let's take the things that really worked from both of these games and let's put them together and see how it functions. Um, and the combat is very similar to that. Um, so basically, um, you have auto attacks, um, which is sort of your baseline attack um, in combat. Um, but then you also have like an arts palette, um, which are like more powerful attacks, can give like buffs, debuffs, things like that, um, or heal or draw aggro or whatever. Um, and you have the same like three roles that you would have in an MMO. You have uh, DPS, you have a tank, and you have a healer. Um, and eventually like you eventually can like, uh, change classes to like other people's classes in your party. Mm. Um, and you can get some of their arts as well. And then you can like interlink those arts, um, to make them work. Um, and you eventually can become like a machine life form as well. Um, and like do attacks through that. There are chain attacks as well, which allow you to do like massive damage. And like, even in the mid game chain attacks are super broken in this game. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's so um it, it's it, it's very similar to an mmo um but it, it it it's a little bit less complex than xenoblade 2 to be honest with you xenoblade 2 i think for a lot of people um especially given how slowly they rolled it out um people struggled with it but i think that the thing that makes this work really well for people is first of all as izzy said early on they give you a fair number of tools but it's a manageable number of tools to work with um, and then they consistently add just a tiny bit on and a tiny bit on and a tiny bit on um, until at the point I am probably just like in this this chapter, um, I got all the tools that are at my disposal. And it doesn't feel overwhelming to me, but also like as a person who like did like hardcore challenge mode grinding in Xenoblade 2, like it feels like it's not bad. So I think it might be overwhelming for some people, but it rolls it out so slowly that if you're a veteran of the series – no problems. If you're new, you might struggle a little bit. But one of the nice things is they give you tutorials where you can literally go in and test out the different things that they've given you. Um, so like they'll say like, hey, you need to break an enemy or whatever. Um, and then like you have to go into like this tutorial mode and you have to go in and you have to actually break an enemy, um, which is way better than the tutorials that are mandatory in the game, which are miserable and <laughs> far too frequent. And I hate them. I guarantee some at some point they will patch it out. Some of the tutorials are ludicrous um, where you have to go through and do like the exact same thing six times uh, for um, every party member for every single party member and they like do this thing where they'll do the same tutorial twice like a window will pop up it'll tell you about it then it'll make you do it while telling you about it yeah but those go away after about 15 hours those really 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 annoyed me but i haven't seen one for so long that i've kind of lost lost the trauma of those which is good It'd be great if they suddenly just launched one at you in like the last five minutes of the game you're in the last <laughs> boss it hits you with a final tutorial the tutorial is the real last boss of the game i mean xenoblade 2 basically did similar to that so i wouldn't be surprised if there's suddenly still extra systems that's true eventually. chapter so. eight i think was the last time i saw a tutorial in that game if i'm not mistaken <laughs> and that's a 10 chapter <laughs> game so yeah. yeah one of the coolest things that i've seen in uh footage from this game is you can join your characters together for combat. How does that work? So that was like the uh, robot form that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So early on in the story, 
I won't really say how. Um, like you'll eventually get linked up. So like one Kevis member and one Agnes member will be linked up. Um, and then like over combat by like performing what's called fusion arts, which is like linking like the base class art with like one that you've carried over from another class. Um, you can slowly build up. At least I think that's how it builds up. <laughs> um, you can slowly build up your what's called interlink level. Um, and then you can launch your what's called Uraburos form or your robot form. Um, and you can like deal out massive damage. You can't take any damage. Um, and and like all three members can do that. Um, and the AI can do that as well. And one thing I forgot to mention that is really cool about Xenoblade 3 um, is that you can freely switch between members in combat and it's a six person party. Um, and that is a huge thing after Xenoblade 2 where I wanted to do that all the time because they would never do what I wanted when I wanted them to do it. And it's very helpful here. Yeah, I, I think that's one of my biggest improvements on the combat is being able to switch characters. I feel like Xenoblade 1 and 2 had a really big problem with disaster recovery where you just couldn't because you only can play as one person. So unless you're playing as a character who can recover from the disaster, which is often not the case because you often need more than one character to recover. Uh, it just, if you started, if battle started going badly, you usually lost. But I've found more often than not in Xenoblade 3, I can turn things back around by like switching to a healer, switching to the tank, um, then turning on their interlink forms purposely and things like that to really solve my problems and i really like that i appreciate that a lot so i i I don't know if this would be a spoiler or not so in terms of joining your characters together can every character join with every other character no okay so you just have one other character so um i I, not giving anything away but like noah and mio are the two like sort of main characters Mm -hmm. um and they join together um and then senna and lands okay so you're not dealing with like tons of new designs and things like that um that's there's also like you're, you can have a seventh party member called a hero and they don't play into this interlink system at all. And the hero system is really cool too. Um, those of you who have played Xenoblade 2, you can see it's like a nod to the blade system um, in Xenoblade 2, which I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with, yeah. um, mostly because of the gotcha elements of it. Um, I managed to get all of them. Um, but um, you basically like, you have like these quests that are designed around um, recruiting these different characters um, and they'll come into your party and they'll have, you know, uh, their own class. Um, and then like you eventually can like pull their class onto yours. And like in total in the game, I think there are 20 um, different classes. So that means there are 14 different heroes. Or I could I could have that number there's, wrong. There's 17 different heroes, I think. Okay. Um, but the point is that um, it gives you a lot of flexibility in combat. You every Every character can play different jobs or different classes, rather. They can all have different party makeups, party setups, um, and a lot of them are viable. Like in Xenoblade 2, like I was like, why would I use anyone except Mithra? Because um, <laughs> she's just going to crit and heal constantly, and I can just like spam arts. Whereas here, um, every character has like some art or some skill, um, every hero, every class that like you really want. Um, and so like I'm flopping around my characters to all different classes constantly. Um, and mm. it's just fun to play around with different art setups um and the game isn't so challenging at least on normal mode which is the way i'm playing it that i don't have the flexibility to do that and maybe make some mistakes yeah that class system is going to be very addicting for me i i'm going to be putting a lot of time into it because there's i mean certain characters are more predisposed to certain classes so they learn that class easier and then once they have it they master it easier and they just have stats that more make sense for it usually um but so there's like if you really want a specific character to have some weird class that they do not gel with it's 
going to take some time. So I feel like I, there's going to be a lot of times where I'm like, I want to make my party weird and it's going to take a bunch of time. Yeah. Uni is a healer, but she's definitely dual wielding guns for me because yeah. she's that cool. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then there's like the, you can equip some arts on the D pad from other classes than the one you have equipped. So your, your uh, face buttons have arts from the class you have equipped, but then other arts can be equipped on the D pad mm -hmm. and they have to be arts that are from the opposite colony world or world faction, yeah, colony, whatever. Yeah. So your if your face button arts are the kind that recharge um, on cooldown and then the D pad arts have to be the ones that recharge with auto attacks or vice versa. Interesting. I have a question for you both uh, without any spoilers. Like I, I don't want necessarily story spoilers, but who is your favorite character in the game thus far, both in terms of like their personality, but also how they play in the game. That's easy. Muni for me. Um, and the thing is uh, in terms of how they play, like every character basically like they might level up a class faster, but in terms of like their ability to use a class, it's exactly the same. Like the base stats are almost exactly the same. Okay. Um, so it doesn't matter who you play um, really. Um, but in terms of the cast in general, like a lot of the hero characters are great, uh, but Uni has got an attitude that I absolutely adore. Um, <laughs> she is like full East Ender, Londoner, um, having come from England for two months. Um, she talks exactly like an englander i'm using english english voice dub i can't imagine not using that with xenoblade yeah the english the dubs the english voice dubs in all the xenoblade games are uk based right yes they yeah. are and they all have like different um different accents from different regions like there's a hero character that's clearly from yorkshire um you know the um cat girl class is or person is clearly <laughs> from what what wales um, I know only reason I know these things is because Alana has told me, but my point is um, that Uni um, is a fabulous character. She's got attitude. She's funny, um, but she also, as time develops, as you would know, has, you know, sort of reasons to behave the way that she does. But um, she's not um, like the, the, the cast like is all based on certain tropes, but they're not tropey, really, the way that certainly like Xenoblade 2 was sometimes. Um, so she's fabulous. Um, I love all the hero characters too. Alexandria in particular, which I can't say anything about her, um, is great. Um, but yeah, um, the, the characters in this game are by far the best in the Xenoblade series. And that is impressive. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the cast. I think even early on, it's very quick for the cast to like something I felt kind of watching the trailers and things before Xenoblade 3 was I wasn't sure if I was going to like the cast, which feels wild now because I love them, but like it just they didn't come across in the trailers um, how they actually are in the game. And I think there's just so much dialogue and banter and like just so much backstory. There's so much there and there's so much connected to the world building and the combat and everything to just make this cast really shine in a way that I don't think uh, I think Xenoblade 2 comes close in some ways, but still isn't there. And Xenoblade 1 definitely doesn't because some characters just did not get enough development in that game. But I think this is just very, very well done. Very impressive. It feels so in Cross, there's all these characters that you can recruit. And it kind of also reminds me of Heroes because you you recruit them. They can go do stuff with you, but they're not always directly connected with the story as it's going on. Um, and I feel like that cast was super strong and you just are very unlikely to actually properly experience them if you play cross without getting really into it and spending doing all the 
their quests, character quests and things like that. And luckily no one threatens to eat any Nopons here. So that's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just feel like uh, they've managed to build that kind of development into the main story and the main progress in a way that works incredibly well. And then they build on it even more inside stuff rather than feeling like you need the side stuff to get it. Right. And I agree with that. Um, but I think the side quests here, some of them, especially the hero quests, I cannot imagine playing this game and not doing the hero quests. Oh, no, the hero quests feel like main content. Yeah, they they are. Um, and like even like because like if you've played Xenoblade 1, the side the side content in that game is notorious. Like there are some like 550 side quests in that game, like something yeah. ludicrous like that. And and I love doing them, but they I know a lot of people don't. And I understand why. Right. Completely. <laughs> I mean, the first time I played the game, I did them all um, yeah. like every single one of them um, just because I like doing them. But they were usually like kill three monsters here. And it was like really quick. Um, but you needed to do it to build affinity, to get more quests, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to get better uh, equipment. That game was like side quests, the game. Um, whereas here, there are a lot fewer side quests, but every single one feels like it is meaningful towards building um, like the because like the different colonies that you visit are really where the side quests are based around. Um, and it, it helps build affinity for that colony, which is gives you different perks. But also it builds the world. It builds the characters. Um, like everything feels meaningful here. Um, and even as a person who's playing this for review, who like knows he wants to get it out quickly, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go do that side quest. Or like, I, oh, there's like the whole part of the map over there. I've got to go, I've got to go check that part out. Um, so it, it gives you meaningful rewards for doing everything, but also develops the characters. This is one of the most character centric games I've ever played in terms of RPGs. And that's saying something for a Xenoblade game. And I would never have said that before, but <laughs> they build the characters so well, especially get into chapters three and four later. Like it, it's phenomenal. The, the, all the different ways they do it. Something to look forward to, is he? Totally. Uh, I, I forgot to say my favorite character. So please, yes, go ahead. It. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I think, I think Senna is probably my favorite so far. Uh, she's just really fun and like really always looking out for the other party members. I really like that about her. Uh, also, just she starts with a giant hammer as a weapon. I'm a big fan of small people with giant weapons. But <laughs> so, yeah, so far her, but that could easily change. Or, I mean, it's hard to even choose still because they're all great, like Zach was saying. And, oh, I think uh, one thing I'd like to mention about characters that will probably be a big bonus for or a big plus for a lot of people that maybe didn't like Xenoblade 2's characters and interactions as much um, is like a lot of the complaints about Xenoblade 2 are related to how it sexualizes characters or how cheesy some of the dialogues between characters can be and that kind of stuff. Um, and I would say Xenoblade 3 incredibly strongly reeled back on that. Like oh, yeah. to a, there is a bathing scene very early in the game. The characters are totally nonchalant about being in a bath uh, with a like, men and women in the same bath no one's like being weird about it they're all just relaxing and getting clean and yeah. it's totally normal in their society <laughs> i mean you can see some of the body designs are definitely xenoblade 2 but like they're covered <laughs> as <Yeah>. well <laughs> like someone like ethel for example like she clearly has the dimensions of a xenoblade 2 character but she doesn't look like a xenoblade 2 character at all right I would I would definitely say there while there it, it's still the same series and there is still because Xenoblade One had that as well and I mean the entire series is all of Xeno has always had some of that in its design but especially like how the characters interact feels so much more mature and interesting um, and I'm really into it. Well, the takeaway I've been getting from both of you is that this seems like an outstanding sequel for a number of reasons. It sounds like they've taken 
all of the things that really worked about the previous titles and evolved them and moved them forward and and refined, uh, in, not just in terms of systems either, but also in terms of uh, characters and the way characters are developed and heroes and things like this. Like it really does sound like it's a ridiculously polished experience. Uh, and that's kind of exciting because there aren't a lot of games nowadays that are released with that level of polish. Uh, it, not even in terms of like gameplay and stuff like that, but also in terms of just being able to play the game period <laughs> with frame rate issues or things like that. It sounds like they did a really good job. Oh, they did. I mean, like my game has crashed once or twice. Um, but other than that, like it yeah, just is... put your switch in the fridge. It'll be fine. Right. <laughs> that'll, that'll save um, it. it. It's definitely the most refined, refined Xenoblade experience. Um, you can tell they're developers who listen. Um, when people complained about this or that or the other thing, um, like I even think about like those giant affinity charts in Xenoblade One, that were a nightmare to fill out. Um, like you would have to go like find this person in this colony at this time of day, um, but here, like they give you a little like star over their name, and like it's just easy. It's just easier to interact with the systems. Um, they haven't been dumbed down really. Um, they have been streamlined in a way that are that is just easier to access. Um, to get to those things that Xenoblade wants to be about, like community building and the people and the combat and the exploration, um, which is just unbelievable in this game. Yeah, you mentioned the world. It's interesting. It's not an open world, is it? It's uh, it's connected zones, right? Yes. Um, so it like the first two zones in particular are massive. Um, like each one is maybe five times the size of a zone in Xenoblade 2. Um, but you still occasionally have to go through loading screens to get to another zone, but they are very few and far, far between. Like in Xenoblade 1, there are probably like 17, 18 zones. I don't know in Xenoblade 2, I can't remember. Um, but here I'm only at three and I'm a little over half I'm at the in the fourth main zone and I'm a little over halfway. Um, but like each zone is so massive that it could be its own world. And I, something I like is that the world feels very connected in a way that Xenoblade 1 did and Xenoblade 2 mm -hmm. kind of felt like almost arbitrary. Like it was hard sometimes to even picture where you were in relation to things, especially mm -hmm. in different zones, not so much in the same zone, but different zones. And I think Xenoblade 3 has improved on that a lot and feels like a callback to Xenoblade 1 in that way where you can mm -hmm. look and see things really far away and like feel where you are in the world in relation to other places you've been. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the... Oh, what is it called? Uh, there's a there's a concept at Walt Disney World uh, that Walt Disney uh, championed. I think it was called the weenie system, where a weenie <laughs> is something that you see in the in the background that helps you keep your sense of where you are in the park. So, like Cinderella's castle would be a weenie, uh, or like the big the the spaceship in uh, Tomorrowland would be the weenie. Um, I remember Caitlin passionately hates this phrase. Um, but it seems like that's what you're kind of talking about, where you can kind of see where you are in relation to everywhere else based mm -hmm. on what's around you and in the in the back oh, for sure. or far yep. away. Like in Xenoblade 1, like sort of like the iconic thing is like you can see the Mechanis out in Gower Plain, whereas here you can see different zones everywhere, even more so than in Xenoblade 1. So it even gives you more of that sense of connectedness, I think. All right. Well, what I see in the what I see in the distance for us is the the end of the show uh, coming up. But before we do that, uh I wanted to do a discussion question. Uh, first, let's just say Xenoblade Chronicles 3 uh, sounds like it's going to get a good review from you, Zach. Yeah, I don't know the number yet, but it'll be uh, in the 90s, I, unless something stumbles dramatically. And I have 
it's been getting pretty high numbers across the board. And more importantly than the numbers, what I've read about it thus far has been very, very positive. Not And talking to both of you, of course. Um, so I think that we might have a contender for game of the year, perhaps. I think it's, I think I could knock Elden Ring off at this point. So we'll see. <laughs> Depending on where you're coming from, but for right. our particular demographic. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for today's discussion question, something actually, uh, Izzy, that you said earlier in this episode inspired this, uh, thought it's something that is it is it is somewhat unique which is uh not all of them of course but many of them video game remakes seem to work in a way that a lot of films don't um why do you think that is why do you think that video game why do you think so many video games get remade and why do you think these remakes quote unquote work uh in comparison to like a film for example or well i guess theater i guess theater is entire actually (laughs) theater is entirely a remake based industry um because every single show is a remake of a play. Um, but why do you think that video game remakes work so well a lot of the time? Obviously not all of them, but a lot of the time. So, uh, Zach, what do you think? That is a difficult question. Um, obviously, there are some bad remakes. Like, let's just sure. say the Secret of Mana, uh, the 3D yeah. remake that was a few years ago, that kind of thing, which is was just a disaster. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that film is film to some degree. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, film certainly has progressed in the last 100 years, but at the end of the day, it's very similar. You're watching people in a place, walk around a place, um, in a, in a theater. Um, and it, it, it feels more particular in the way that you experience it. Like I think film is a more emotive medium than video games are. Um, video games are doing so many different things. Mm. Um, whereas film, I think ultimately, I think Roger Ebert said that it was like an empathy machine, um, was, I think he coined the term. Um, and I think that like, you think about something like psycho, the psycho remake, which I have unfortunately seen, I've seen um, it too. Yeah. is a shot by shot remake of the original Hitchcock. The only clever thing in that entire movie is in the background where Hitchcock had a cameo of himself. Yeah. Uh, the director <laughs> of this put in a Hitchcock lookalike and himself arguing with the Hitchcock lookalike. Yeah. And that was cool. It was cool, but I think the only thing that could have made that better is that the Hitchcock lookalike just punched him right in the face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gus Van Sant's a great director, too, so it's what makes it even more disappointing that that movie sucks so bad. Um, but it, it's soulless, almost, um, that that version of it is. And I feel like that is movies are about soul, right? Um, and, and video games, I think you've seen video games evolve in a way that certainly movies don't evolve. Um, and so you can place different graphics on top of it that make sense. Um, you can place systems in place um, and like UI improvements or different um, improvements to just make your life easier. Um, and I think that is what makes it more functional. They're more willing to be faithful to the original story in a lot of cases, mm. but also more willing to progress and evolve um, in ways that I don't think movies do. Movies always feel so intertangled with the original. Um, and that is are my thoughts that I just came up with at the top of my head, which are probably nonsense. So there we go. That's the reason why I asked. It's, that's what I wanted. Izzy, what do you, what do you think, Izzy? So I think a lot of it is to do with the interactivity of the medium. So mm. there's that part of the a game that is like I, all media is takes something from some kind of participation from the audience. Uh, but I think obviously video games have the most. Um, and I think that participation also kind of ties video games to people in a way it makes like you have moments and memories of not just um plot beats 
or like visual effects or things. You also have moments that you specifically personally did as a person. You have moments of all kinds of weird like systems and stuff. So there's there's not only is there that like it, get, getting to play a remake is like getting to try and re-experience those moments you created um, in by playing it. But I guess there's also just the fact that with video games you can just improve the visuals like Mm. some games just looked bad you can make them look better (laughs) it's not all games and obviously art is art but there are games that you can just make look better and that's already a big change some games have like um like how gameplay is made has changed so much that like design decisions that they were just like we can't think of any other way to do this back when it was made yeah could could have made the game arduous to play and then now it's like oh wait this would be easily solved by doing this technique now or things like that and i think that's part of it being interactive um because there's no like you are uh, a remake can make an experience more not just more enjoyable but more smooth in a video game in a way i don't know if a film can do no i I understand what you're saying um it's easy to forget i guess because we're in the middle of it that video games are still a rapidly evolving industry um in terms of how they're developed in terms of the systems just in terms of well we're talking about xenoblade chronicles 3 in comparison to xenoblade chronicles and xenoblade chronicles 2 and just the way those systems evolved and got smoother and at some point if someone if they decide to remake xenoblade chronicles in like 10 years i suspect that the systems that are so smooth and three would be imported into the uh, remake. I mean, there's a lot of definitive edition in three as well. You can mm-hmm. see them sort of iterating. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, there's a lot of different kinds of remakes uh, for video games as well. Um, there is the, let's call it the, the psycho remake, which is the, the one for one remake, which sometimes can be super successful. Like in the case of legend of Zelda links awakening and other times be, as you said, completely and utterly soulless, like the Secret of Mana remake. Um, And then, of course, there's the expanded remake uh, that expands the story and the world and the graphics, like the Final Fantasy VII remake. And then there are remakes that do do that as well, but also uh, get rid of gameplay uh, conventions that we've moved beyond. Like, for example, uh, Resident Evil 2 remake, uh, thank God tank controls are gone. Now you just have a good old fashioned over the shoulder because it works better to suit, uh, service the story and the gameplay. And yeah, there are a lot of people who miss the tank controls, but that's, I think a lot of that's just, uh, nostalgia rather than actual objective. This is better thinking, but that's just where I'm coming from. So I don't know. I, vid- you're right because video games are such an interactive industry and the overall experience and the smoothness, the, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? User friendliness uh, of being able to play them is so important that being able to refine that and make it better for the player can create a better experience. And that, I think that might be why they work. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think quality of life is a big is a big factor in a lot of them. Um, yeah, and Seven is doing something very different. Um, and I think that it, it, it all the criticisms I have of Seven Remake, um, Nomura and company, like they understood how to nod back, how to move forward, how to how to do it in a different way that makes people happy. And I think at the end of the day, like a lot of times in video game industry, like they're just interested in telling a good story as opposed to like doing something clever. Uh, with a remake. Um, and, and I think seven remake is a little guilty of that <laughs> in its ending maybe, but um, they also just like add great characters in and like, they just add good stuff in um, and maybe film feels like it can't do that. I don't know. It's a, it's a great question. It's yeah. I mean, there's also like the cash grab idea. Like let's take, 
let's take a classic and remake it for today, but let's not put any real thought into it. Let's just make it soulless and uh, polished and any any message that there is surface. Like the first thing that comes to mind for me is RoboCop uh, versus the original. Um, I guess the, wow, this is, I guess that the, the, the video game equivalent of the remake of RoboCop would be like, warcraft 3 reforged which it's clearly like it's clearly like a mandate we have this we want to get we want to release it to earn some more money it doesn't matter if it's good or not and i guess the the equivalent to something like say chrono cross remastered where it just doesn't run as well as the original is like when they make weird re-releases of movies so it's the same movie but it has like a weird filter over it like suddenly the movie's bluer or things like that (laughs) yeah like well i mean if we want to go for the ultimate example of that that's that's Star Wars. That's the original trilogy <laughs> being released in 1997. Okay, yeah, we've managed to get this down. So remasters are the special editions of video games. <laughs> Remakes are like the, I guess, anything that puts remake after it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Like in 20 years from now, it's going to be like the Final Fantasy VII remake. What, you, what happens when yeah. you remake the remake? And I also think that like cultural touchstone has something to do with it. Like if it's enough of a deal to be remade as a movie, it's going to be a way bigger deal than any video game is, right? Um, yeah. And so I think about like some of the changes they made in like that version of Star Wars, which are minimal. Uh, um, like uh, who cares who shot first? Oh my gosh. Well, thank um, you. There's the hate mail going to be rolling into my... <laughs> yeah, I hope it does. I hope it does. Please forward it to me. I will respond. Uh, um, Like who cares? Um, But like people get so hung up on that stuff. And I think that that is part of it as well. This is like the collective conscious, I'll say. Um, I'm playing too many Takahashi games. Yeah, (laughs) I was just going to (laughs) say. But yeah, I think that's part of it too. I don't know. Yep. It's all about how many childhoods can be ruined, I guess. I, I guess it's also partially just a, like, what people are used to as well. Video games have been remade since basically video games existed. So it's just kind of like a, it's part of video game culture. And like, theater is transformative. It's like a huge part of what theater is, is being transformative. And mm. so you just can't even like compare it almost in that respect, because the history is just so different. It's true. And the thing about theater for me is that theater is okay, I'm gonna theater is not cheap. It is not inexpensive. But compared to like a multi million dollar movie, it really is. And I'm not I'm not talking about necessarily like a big Broadway production. But like a lot Shakespeare of Shakespeare in the Park. Yeah, a lot of remakes, so to speak. You just need a cast of talented people who have a passion for the text and an idea about how it can be reinterpreted. And you can just do that in a park. And yeah. if it's a it, it might catch on, it might not. But like it, the barrier for entry is very, very low in comparison to uh, films and video games. That's true. And if you did the same sort of thing with movies where you use the exact same script, but you like iterate it on a little bit differently, um, I think people would like no one would give them the money to do it. Right. So like it's it's been done once. It's been done <laughs> once. So who cares? Right. Um, and outside of like Shakespeare movies. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many times I've seen Hamlet in movie form. You're not going to see that. Um, and it, because it's too expensive. Yeah. You just can't, you can't it, like even a cheap movie is going to run into the millions and millions of dollars right. unless it's like super, super indie. But in which case it's not, it, unless it is very lucky, it's not probably going to break through. Right. I don't need to see a remake of Clerks, so I'm good. <laughs> no, you could just watch Clerks two or three. <laughs> That's coming out. Um, I mean that that is that is the plot of Clerks three. Apparently, they're going to be making really? Clerks one. That's amazing. <laughs> which is it's pretty meta, and I actually think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, I I like Kevin Smith more than some people. So yeah, <laughs> I I hey I had all of the DVDs on my shelf when I was in high school, and I think that certain films in that series, even Mallrats. <laughs> oh, I had Mallrats for the for the uh, audio commentary more than anything. The audio 
commentaries were the best thing about those films. Uh, The audio commentaries were Kevin Smith podcast before Kevin Smith was podcasting. (laughs) That's fair. Anyway. um, Well, I want to thank you both for taking some time off of playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3 to talk to me about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, I assume that both of you will get right back to uh, right back to your your uh, your fun after we leave off. Yeah. Well, I have to review Soul Hackers, too. So there's that as well. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah, the, the 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 review train never ends here at RPG Fan. There's always <laughs> something else coming out. Yeah, just out of curiosity, Izzy, how is it, it so far? It is a game in which my opinion on it keeps changing. Um, and not always negative or positive or, you know, just I'm very, I do not know where I'm going to land on it in the end whatsoever. You know what? I think that's a good reason why a lot of people talk about sh- should you uh, should you finish video games? Uh, do you need to beat a video game to form an opinion on it? And I think that you're a casual gamer. You don't need to. Uh, I do firmly believe that if you are a reviewer, you need to maybe not absorb every bit of side content, but you need to see everything that the game offers in order to form a an opinion that you should be able to share with people. And in this case, the Soul Hackers 2, it's, this is the reason why. Yeah, totally. I agree. Anyway, um, well, thank you. Like I said, thank you both for coming. Uh, for everyone who's listening, I want to tell you that we have some very big news uh, about RPG Fan. Uh, we have a store now. Yes, we have opened RPG Fan store. Uh, it, we sell uh, we sell a number of things. We sell uh, T-shirts. We sell mugs. We sell stickers. We sell magnets. We have a bunch of other products that are on the horizon. As soon as the store opened, I ordered two mugs, two T-shirts, uh, all of the magnets. So my fridge is going to be covered with RPG fan, uh, which is something I've always dreamed of. And I get to wear it on my shirt now. So I get to I get to wear it. It's like my sports team. It's my my equivalent of my sports team. I'll be repping RPG fan as well. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, I know. We all will. Um, so if you are interested in taking a look at uh, our wares, you can find everything at www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, and please take a look. And if you have ideas or suggestions for products, uh, you can send them off to me, I guess, and you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me there at Jono underscore Logan. Uh, Zach, where can we find you online? Uh, the best way is probably email, uh, ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also find me on RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Cool. And Izzy, where can we find you online? So I'm afraid of show- social media. So smart person. you can find smart me person. by messaging Jono and then he can forward <laughs> things to me uh, or he can just answer them and I don't even have to deal with it at all. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, pushing all the work over to me. Um, if you don't feel like messaging me, you can always message one of our other hosts at one of the other podcasts here at RPG Fan. Uh, for example, Mike Solosi at Retro Encounter. Uh, this month, Solosi and the panel are taking a deep look at the PS3 classic Tales of Zillia. And uh, that's been going really, really well. I think Solosi uh, took a week off. So the second part is going to be posted later this week. It's a pretty good episode. Yeah. So uh, I look forward to listening to that. Uh, Rhythm Encounter is our other podcast that is released every alternate Monday with us. Uh, last week was The Road SNES Traveled, uh, which was all about music from SNES RPGs that are not Final Fantasy or Chrono Trigger, because believe it or not, they do exist. Um and it was a really, really cool episode. And I actually got to listen to some music that I never thought I'd actually hear on Rhythm Encounter, including some games that uh, have never been talked about before uh, from RPG Fan. Uh, some interesting, interesting titles there. Uh, and then next week on Rhythm Encounter, it's going to be Tropical Island themes from RPG. And personally, I have my fingers crossed for some Star Tropics 
uh, because I love myself some Star Tropics. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, however, you can share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there. And please rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. Finally, again, Izzy, Zach, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was glad to be here. Uh, thank you, everyone listening. I'm going to head off now and pack my suitcase. Uh, and whatever you're playing, have fun.